Welcome to Grief Recovery Now podcast. I'm your host, Charlene Gorzella, your grief recovery specialist. This podcast is being produced just for you, someone who has been challenged and heartbroken over a significant and devastating loss, death, divorce, sudden life change, or the many other ways we experience grief. You will be taken on a conversational journey with me and some special guests who have come out the other side of grief and committed to small, powerful, and courageous steps that made all the difference in their lives for the better. I want to instill in you on what is possible, that joy, hope, peace, and happiness is closer than you think. While your life is forever changed, you can have a beautiful new outlook on your relationships and loss with a sense of completion that goes deep in your soul. Ready, set, now. Let's get started. Hi, everybody. This is Charlene Gorzella from Grief Recovery Now. So grateful you're here with us today. So how can I say, today is a date of gratitude. I have a good friend who I didn't realize I forgot all about her grief in the past through her childhood and how she walked through it. That's our guest today. Her name is Kim O'Hare. But before we get to Kim O'Hare today, I want to repeat how grateful I am that you all are here and no one, no matter what condition you are emotionally, you could be happy, you could just be calm and just feeling good about life or in extreme grief or just feeling a little out of sorts. This podcast is about come as you are. And today, I always talk a little bit about what's going on and little tidbits that I've observed in my own life. And I was thinking about what's happening today, politically, economically, pandemic, it's huge, and all these sudden changes that have happened in our life. And some of them aren't just so sudden. There's this underlying, how can I say, chronic stress that I feel is going on. And I think with that stress, it can produce grief that we can't, we have not been able to identify yet. And even though as a, a grief support specialist, there's certain small but little steps that I take through through the process, through the seven, eight-week process. But before, if I've never worked with you or will work with you, I want to give you some little nuggets. And I just discovered this this week about certain happy chemicals that we have and we can use right away. And that they're called happy chemicals and how to hack them. Oxytocin. If you've never heard about that, it is the love hormone. You can get it through holding someone's hand, playing with a dog, holding a baby, hugging your family, giving someone a compliment. And then another one is dopamine, the reward chemical. That's You can get that by completing a task, doing self-care activities, eating food, yummy, celebrating little wins. Dark chocolate's a good one with eating food. Serotonin, that's a mood stabilizer. You can get it through meditating, running, sun exposure, walking in nature, swimming and cycling. And then the endorphin, that is the painkiller. Instead of buying something over the counter or getting a prescription and maybe some uh, painkillers you may have had, but not feeling pain, but I'm not feeling great. Maybe I'll try a painkiller because my heart is full of pain. How about, why don't you try this endorphin um, suggestions? The painkiller, laughter exercises. I do it in the morning where sometimes I will just take a deep breath and just do a laughing meditation. 
The Dalai Lama does that. Essential oils is a great endorphin. Check out that. Watch a comedy. Again, dark chocolate, exercising. So these are a few tips you can use. And go to my Facebook page, Grief Recovery Now. It's a private page. And I have all of that in that. So if you like me, invite you to that. Please go to that group. Ask for an invite and I will send it to you in a moment and you'll get all that information there. Anyway, hope you enjoyed this and you get some benefit from it. And again, so grateful you're here today. So anyways, let's get to our beautiful guest today. Her name is Kim O'Hara. I've known her for a while now and I've had this podcast for a little while now. And, you know, I think some people, they're too close to you, even though I don't see her that often. And I completely forgot about some of her life experiences. And one day I was in meditation. All of a sudden she just popped in my head and I go, oh my God, I got to call Kim. And I was afraid she may say no. But then as soon as I called her, she goes, I would absolutely love to do it. So I'm so happy that she said yes. So book coach to bestsellers, Kim O'Hara, knows how to get to the root of the story. She guides her clients from the dream of writing a best-selling book to the creation, to publishing and marketing. Her authors have been on the Wall Street Journal Top 10 Business Book List, USA Today Top 150, and numerous Amazon number one bestseller lists, as well as number one in all of nonfiction. In a prior career, she was a movie producer, screenwriter, so her whole life has been steeped in storytelling. She also has a successful podcast titled, You Should Write a Book About That which she launched in COVID, just like I launched Grief Recovery now in COVID, and has already had 15,000 unique downloads. She had written her own memoir, Kicking Abuse in the Ass, which faces the effects of sexual abuse, denial, and recovery. I just wanna quickly tell you about her book because we'll be talking about that during this podcast. Kim's book, Kicking Abuse in the Ass, is a brutally honest memoir that makes space for readers to explore their own trauma using Kim O'Hara's signature writing prompts. Realizing late in life she was sexually abused for 10 years as a child, Kim O'Hara leaned heavily on the writing process to navigate the trickery and deceit of suppressed abuse memories and renewed her relationships with sexuality, earning power, spirituality, parenting, and romance. Kim asked the reader to face their own fears by answering core questions such as, what if I made it up? Why do I feel so guilty about it? What if I tell my partner and they leave? She helps survivors get to the bottom of their true soul so they can finally be in the lives they were born before their identity was taken away from them. So everybody help me welcome Kim O'Hara. This is an honor and a privilege to be with her. I welcome you with open arms and this is just a conversational piece. And I know you just have so much to share and give to our audience today. So happy to know you. And I'm so glad our guests get to know you too. So we're gonna talk about how it was, what happened and what is it like now. And Kim has some specific things she'd like to share with us today. So Kim, how did this all start? You know, it's interesting when, to hear you read the back of the book. You know, you publish a book. It was in 2018. It's actually going to be um, republished next year with a new publisher because of the demand for it is, you know, it's increasing as more and more people realize that they've had this trauma. And when you were reading it, I was like, that last sentence about return to your original identity, I had forgotten that I had written that. Because in COVID, one of the things that's been happening is 
realizing that there is this original identity that I'm still learning about myself. Like there's so many parts about myself and you know, this is a grief podcast. So what I could do is I could grieve, oh my God, there's been all this lost time. And that happens for abuse survivors, right? There's been all this lost time where I wasn't even the person that I thought, like I wasn't even me, like, oh my God. But that's actually not true. The you was in there. You just hadn't been able to access it. And so I am having this process where I'm going through discovering the original identity of self. And it's really, it's really quite beautiful. Oh, now when did this all start? Were you on, you were meditating? I know this is recent stuff about your identity coming up, correct? Yes, I have been, I have been following since I'd say right around when the book got published a an email subscription for the for two shamans out of New Mexico. And I would get there like, you know, like you, I like the, you know, the moons and like the, the, all that kind of like astrology stuff. And I would read, you know, what was coming with the harvest moon or whatever. And I would look at the month forecast in a kind of shamanic way, you know, and I was getting to my 50th birthday, which is in December. And I've been praying about what do I do for my 50th birthday? Like, I know I want to go somewhere, but I don't really know where. And literally that same day that I was praying on my phone came up a shamanic retreat. And I remember being like, my first thought was, okay, like my kids, my ex-husband, my friends, they're all going to be like, you're going where? (laughs) What is shamanic or shaman? Can you explain a little bit about what that is? Yeah, shamanism is connected to the earth, right? The north, the south, the east, the west, the animals, the plants uh, that we're all one in one divine communion, you know, with the earth. You know, what we go through is a self is also what, we're go- what a community is going through. And so it's very um, going into the depths of like your original identity and finding out what you were really called to be here. Like how, how the purest way you were delivered into this world before all the shit happened, excuse my language, which can happen in the birth canal for Christ's sake, you know, or in the womb, you know, your mother, you know, this has been coming up for a lot of people lately. So I'll, I'll bring it up. You know, our generation, our parents were really young. They were like feral animals. Like they had no idea how to parent. Okay. Many of them didn't even know how to put food on the table. And, 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 and there was a lot of abandonment and a lot of, you know, loneliness connected to that. So in the womb, you know, these 20 something year old people are giving birth and they're very anxious, right? So you're already born with like someone else's stuff on you, right? And then as you evolve through your young years and your, your you know, your formative years, it's literally layered on. So I go to this shamanic retreat. I, have, I know none of this. I know none of this. Like I have no idea about any of this. And I go to this shamanic retreat and I find out that I'm there with 30, I know I'm there with 30 strangers. Like I've sort of prepared for this, but not really in the way that it unfolded. We are on a deserted, lovely, but deserted resort in the jungle of Mexico, an hour south of Puerto Vallarta. So we're not talking anything touristy. I brought one book and like nothing else. And there was curriculum in the morning and curriculum in the evening that left seven hours literally sitting on the beach and just thinking, who am I? 
what am I doing here? <laughs> you know, crying, grieving, you know. And in one of those sessions, one of the shamans said to me, you have had so many identities that are not yours put on you. It's time for you to find out who you really are. And, and this like, is where this original self, like discovering the original pure self, pure soul. And it's great you went to the shaman or the shamanic retreat because that all comes with the Aborigines. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just like Avatar. If you're wondering, what is that? You know, think of Avatar and the people with the land, with the sun, the earth, the stars, ancestral, mm-hmm. just a different way of life, this purest way of life. And so you were there, whether you knew it or not, to discover that pureness of your original identity. So then what happened? I came back and flew. This was right before COVID. I was there in February. I came back and I flew to Charlotte, North Carolina for a speaking gig for the National Association of Businesswomen. So I came back and literally four days later, I went to Charlotte and had this experience in Charlotte. And I remember coming back and like seeing people with like, some people had masks on the plane. It was interesting. Like nothing had hit yet, but there was I remember being, I was so open that I was just, I just felt something was coming. We were doing a lot of group prayer there for, there was a decision being made at the time. I wish I could remember what it was. It was a very big political decision that was being made, interestingly enough, that um, I wish I could remember what it was in February, but we were praying for that. And I came back and COVID happened. And I was like, okay, well, if I'm going to be home with my kids, then the one thing I have to say is as a parent, before all this went down, there were days that I would sit in my car and think, I don't know how I'm going to pull this off. Like running a full-time business, trying to stay sane. One kid has this practice. Another kid has that practice. I'm supposed to be at the debate team in Torrance and I can't even get And I remember thinking, this can't possibly last. This was like in January. I was thinking, this can't possibly, this is not sustainable. We've, as a society, we're bonkers. Like we're not connected anymore. We're just machines, you know? We're just not even, the depths of who we are, of what we're supposed to feel, it's gone, right? Is this before COVID? This is right before COVID. This is in January. This this is the thoughts that were going through you. That it wasn't sustainable through your own experience. It wasn't sustainable. I knew it wasn't sustainable. I knew that something had to end. So now I'm home with my kids. Like, and I'm thinking, well, I didn't create this, but kind of thank God. I mean, I breathed a sigh of relief to to be on. I was exhausted. I think what comes with grief, and you're the specialist, so you can maybe say more on this. There's an exhaustion. Like, I've been fighting this for so, I'm so tired. Like I'm so tired. And I think that's how I felt. And I think when I turned 50, I was like, I don't wanna be tired anymore of running from the pain. I wanna, let's just do it. Let's just own it. Let's just get in it and let's get happy. You talked about those endorphins and like all those things in COVID I do. I hug my kids, I get goofy, I pay people compliments, I stand out in my yard under my trees and just look at the leaves. 
I wasn't doing that stuff as much before because we were always like running. Everything was like, we got to get here. We got to get there. You can't sink in when you're like that. Right. And I think COVID was as horrific as it is, how it upheavaled our whole world. It was nowhere to run. It wasn't like, I'm going to go to another country to live. I mean, it's worldwide, except in some of these smaller parts in the world, which we wouldn't go to, or they wouldn't let us in anyway. And I think it was by divine timing. It made people stop. My introvert friends were like sort of happy. They're like, now I can be an introvert. And I know myself, it kept my life simpler. All of a sudden it was like, oh, I got had space to create. And I know you created your podcast through there. I created my podcast. I was launching my business. And I don't think I would have been doing what I'm doing now if it wasn't for COVID. I was preparing for something. And then all of a sudden I was doing a podcast and I had to do it by myself. You know, it's interesting. I'm the type of person who needs a lot of help from people. And I'm not afraid to ask people, even though I'm very self-sufficient. But there was no way people were coming into my house because we couldn't be with people. I was with my part-time assistant who couldn't help me technically to launch my own podcast. I was in an accelerator program, which I had to do so fast. It was six weeks. I had to have a podcast out. And I didn't even know if I wanted one because <laughs> I never listened to them. But I was like, it made sense. And uh, the other day I was talking about the little nudges in life that to follow those. It's not always easy. Sometimes it is. Sometimes it isn't. And I was scared. I think I was grieving because I want to do what I know. I don't want to do what I don't know. And it's scary teaching an old dog new tricks. That's an old saying. I don't call myself an old dog. but (laughs) I know what you mean. And you've had to reinvent yourself, your identity. I've seen you through the years just expand and expand new discoveries within yourself and your own adventure. And I think that's what's happening today with COVID. If people let it, you can really zone out or wake up. Yeah. And I'm so glad I'm waking up. And okay, can you talk about how it was about your experience? You know, most people haven't read your book and I hope they do order your book Mm -hmm. if they feel called to do it. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit about your story and then what happened and what it's like now? Yes. Well, I was 42 years old and I woke up from a dream and knew I had been abused that's not the kind of dream you like want to wake up with, but it's definitely a dream that you are undeniably clear is real. So if anything, it's your first intuitive moment that you actually trust yourself. Mm -hmm. Maybe you've spent your whole life not trusting your intuition and letting other people jockey you around, even though you're a strong-willed person, you've gotten through life by sheer will and, that's that moment where you're like, oh, nobody's going to tell me that that's not a real thought. And then that sort of opened the door to, that was just a very, very hard and dark period because it was realizing I had denied this. And then once you open the door for it, then you start having flashbacks and memories and sensorial experiences. And you start to realize all these ways that you behaved that were to cover up something you weren't even didn't even subconsciously face. It's hard to fight something you don't even know you know. Talk about uncertainty, right? Talk about living in the unknown. Like you are literally manifesting an unknown state of being, which is orchestrating everything you do. Oh, I just lost my earring. 
and it literally just broke. Is that a sign of something? I don't know. <laughs> don't worry about it. You can take the other one off in case we do the audio. Nods have spoken. <laughs> take them off. I have a question for you, and this is getting personal. What was the one thing that you could share that you can feel comfortable or uncomfortable sharing when you had that dream? Was it someone you knew? Was it a stranger? I'm not sure if you were in your bedroom when this had this memory occurred, whatever the memory was. Were you outside? Was it a friend of a friend? Was it? Can you talk a little bit for people who are so ashamed to even bring it up? Right. Well, it was my dad and it was under my door, there was a gap of light. So as a little girl, like my dad would tuck me in, right? And then, so what I saw in the dream was I heard the, the footsteps coming down the carpeted hall, which is a very subtle sound. You don't usually hear footsteps on a carpet, right? And I saw the shadow of the, the feet in the light under the crack of the door. That's it. It's that subtle. You don't have to have some searing, horrible, and I say this in my book, like some rape dream. It's just, you know, it's just this knowing. And then there's there's the processing of Jesus. Like, what does that mean? Like, what does that even mean, right? And then understanding that if it's your father or if it's someone that, if it's a core adult whose job it is, to give you safety and security and for you to trust in that you were talking about the good, the good chemicals. I hug my 11 year old. I kiss her on the mouth. I might even squeeze her in the butt. You know what I mean? It's all safe. It's safe, but there are situations like mine where it wasn't safe. It wasn't brutal. I wasn't beaten or raped but I was, my body was used at an age where I was open and, and available to accept that that was the relationship that was being presented to me. At five years old, you don't go, you know what? I'm not down with this. No, you just think this is the, the cards that were dealt to me. And then, you know, growing up in that generation and growing up in New England, no one was gonna ever, ever say no one was talking about anything. So that doesn't leave you a bit. You can't become that like one voice, right? So you suppress it and then you get really angry. And then you, you know, what's under anger, sadness. Mm -hmm. And so this, how long did the abuse take place? Do you remember that? Well, the I, I believe it was 10 years. I mean, once you, I believe I don't have any guarantee of this. I don't have evidence except for what I know, but I believe it started in infancy. As the years have gone on and I've done somatic therapy and regular therapy and I've done astrological readings and I've done body transference work and harmonium work, I've done a lot of work. It's, you gotta, it's in your body, you know, you gotta get it out. And I've learned that my dad wasn't inherently a bad man. He was a sick person who had probably been abused himself. I, I got that in a download one day that he had been abused, whether it was through the church, uh, through his mother, who was very sick and very ill mentally. 
um, it doesn't take a lot to be sexually abused. I mean, it just, you can be fondled. I mean, it just, it does, it's very subtle. The, the mind, the, the way that your mind gets messed up with is quick. You know, people can be fondled one time and it could affect them the rest of their lives. So I knew that he, he probably was schizophrenic or bipolar and it wasn't diagnosed. And so I, I, I was able to start to feel love would be a stretch, but I started to feel compassion for him wanting to go back to his original self, his original childhood through being with a child. And that happens a lot in sexual abuse situations. They're trying to get back their innocence and that's their sick, twisted way. They're not thinking this is going to damage this child. So it was, it's been a, it's been an interesting journey to learn about it. It's, it's a, it's a sad topic, but it's a fascinating topic. Thank you. And can you talk to me about like, I, you remember talking to someone who specializes in sexual abuse and she talked about a child could be short circuited because it happens too soon. It's like putting a, a, a plug into an electrical socket. And if they don't match, they'll short circuit. Can you talk about how the short circuiting happened for you and how it affected you as you started getting older in your yeah. own relationships? And um, I don't know if I would, I've never heard it described that way. I don't, I, I don't. Like did it affect how you had relationships, your sexuality? Cause mm-hmm. you talk about it a little bit about how you had to discover some new ways of being sexually, spiritually, the way you walked in the world and maybe having to have a psychic change. Mm-hmm. Can you talk like, I had someone on my list who said she was always in these terrible abusive relationships. Mm-hmm. I mean, anything like that happened to you? Sure. I mean, for me, it was uh, abusers abuse, whether mm-hmm. it's themselves or other people, because that's what we've been taught. So putting myself into relationships that were not necessarily like, um, I didn't go down the road of narcissistic relationships per se, because I was a very willful, volatile person. No one was going to ever mess with me. So I pick you because I'm going to do this right now. And I'm going to leave you. And I'm going to pick you because I'm going to do this with you. And then I'm going to leave you. And then as I started to grow and heal, especially after the sexual abuse, I realized that's not how you do relationships, right? But if I've never seen a real relationship, what do I do? So I thought, well, I know, I'll just date my way until I figure it out. But then you start to realize you're you're just really kind of doing the same relationship every time, which is giving your body too soon, doing sex too soon, thinking your sexuality is your best asset, um, putting the guy first before yourself, yet thinking you're not doing that, but yet looking back and realizing you completely were doing that. And I think the one thing in the last, you know, six plus years that I did do for Kim, well, there's two things actually. One is I got sober and that was just for me. And that was my journey and it was always good and healthy. Even when I was sobbing on the floor or in the bathroom, like I'm gonna end it all. Like it was always fine in like an hour. Once you've called someone in, you know, in, in recovery, they always turned it around for you. And starting my business was for me. 
And neither of those involved romantic relationships to happen or to be created, right? So I was creating these things completely on my own and I was dating through it. And, and now in COVID, when I'm not dating at all, I look and I'm like, Kim, if you really wanna have a deep, meaningful, intimate relationship on a level with someone who meets you where you're at, you have to be willing to be completely open and vulnerable and show every single part of yourself. And that's not that you're just this sex kitten or you're this businesswoman, just you. And that's been part of that whole like, well, then who's me? And so that's the great discovery of your identity to go back to that. Mm -hmm. What a beautiful journey that is. Yeah. I was thinking going back to recovery and the peer-to-peer model of recovery and being, I believe it's part of uh, grief recovery to go through the layers that they do in 12-step or other support groups. Can you talk about the peer-to-peer model of 12 steps and whatever else you did and how it has helped you in your grief? I think before uh, I decided to not take anything that altered my mind. That was my decision is there would be no more mind altering substances of any kind, unless necessary, like a surgery or something that would be, you know, monitored. That was my retreat. Like my retreat would be wine or marijuana, you know, back in the early days, it was stronger drugs. And when you come into recovery, if you're willing, you can replace that stuff with camaraderie, right? So you can get that same, a better high, calling someone, reaching out to someone, giving a crap about someone else, hugging someone, remembering something someone was going through. And these are not people you need something from. And they don't necessarily need something from you. I mean, every group has people that are not on the level, so you're careful, but it's still generally a service to service relationship with a common goal, which is to stay clean and clear, right? So I have benefited from that. And I've also pulled back from that. And the times I've pulled back from that are the most distasteful kind of times in my life. I've pulled back thinking, that it was too time consuming and it was getting in the way. And yet that's when I had some of my be- my worst times. Mm-hmm. And during those worst times, did you feel when you finally broke through, did you feel like the Phoenix? Like, <laughs> how did you feel after you've done some work? Like sometimes you do have to show up. You do have to do some discovery, writing, sharing, getting rigorously honest with yourself. You are an active participant in your life. If somebody was a griever who had sexual abuse or any kind of abuse they've experienced, what are three little nuggets that you may have that helped you get to this other side? I fought it for a while, but I eventually went to somatic therapy. I had read about it. I was, I don't need that. I'm good. This was like, like, right after the book, right after I published. So when I published the book and I wrote about everything that happened, that really opened the door. That was like, boom. That's why when people come to me and write books, it's like a lot of it's just like, they're like, what? 
and they realize what they have to change, what they have to share. They realize how incredible they are really. And so then I was like, oh, I should do more, you know? And, and, and the thing that centered around that somatic therapy was the simplest thing. You would think it was so obvious, but it was the simplest thing is I couldn't say no. And I couldn't say no in an aggressive, clear way. So my ways of saying no were very complicated, very complex, very manipulative, very sort of making it seem like I was helping you out. And instead just going, no, was one of the hard, it took me three sessions to say no. And that stunned me. That stunned me. So I would say, just when you think you're done, you just started with healing for sure. Um, writing. Writing is really just a wonderful way to kind of say everything you want to say without anybody judging you or anybody. And if you want to write a book about it, even better, because there's so many people that need to hear stories. They're really, they're really suffering. And three was rekindling a relationship that I had with loving myself and not looking at myself as I had to like, look at some of the words I used about myself, um, the ways that I would speak about myself, that I would catch myself saying things like, oh, you always have clothes on that are, that seem dirty, words like dirty, sloppy, messy, sluggy, like stuff that just was very like indicating what I felt inside about myself, no matter how much makeup I put on or no matter how successful I was inside, I still felt dirty. So looking at those words and then turning them around and like sort of laughing at yourself, be like, so you have stains on your pants sometimes. You're like, you could do something about it or you could be the girl with stains on your pants. What do you want to be? Which do you want to be? What, how, how important is it? <laughs> Isn't that nice you came to that point? Because as I talked earlier about this underlying chronicness, you can be all kinds of things intellectually. I'm positive, I'm great, I'm beautiful. But if it doesn't get to your heart, it's, it's useless. You're just sort of skimming the surface. But it's a good start because it's a start of deepening your consciousness. So there's nothing wrong with that. And as you start doing it more, there's maybe just a little boundary going on over there saying, you know what, this is not, I don't want to say, well, I guess the word for me is like fulfilling enough. I know there's more underneath. Maybe you don't intellectually talk about that, but your heart's saying, okay, dig deeper. Mm -hmm. And then you dig deeper. And sometimes through that, and, and then you start transforming. So if you're somewhere and doing these, uh, our guests on um, the podcast, if you're looking in the mirror and saying, I love myself, I'm beautiful or whatever, keep doing that. And then after a while you get like you, he's like, all of a sudden you see this chronic, I'm not good enough. I'm not pretty enough. I'm wrinkly. I'm messy. I'm this or that. And sometimes it's not like you're verbally saying it. It's subtly, it's chronically subtle. So no. And then you've probably had a lifetime of that. And yeah. here you are 50 something odd years old. And I think you're truly rediscovering yourself. It's the great adventure of Kim O'Hara, which I love, 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 love. <laughs> Through this, I think you could really help people how they are. But how are you today? Like through all your work and what what does Kim see in herself? And I believe I just had something that we put on our Facebook group is like, don't look back. You're not going there. And I'm not saying 
that there's no time for that because there is a sacred time for that is to look back and evaluate and just sort of be aware and awakened by the truth of the rigorous honesty of like the snapshot of what really happened and what the truth is. Where are you now? What's the snapshot of Kim today? Well, you know, I've been thinking about this a lot lately because um, you really do get to where you say you want to be in 10 years. You really do get there. You might not see it on a day-to-day basis, but you really do start to get there. And if I look back to the day when I found out about the abuse or wrote the book, there were goals that I had now that I'm 50 that I'm I'm there, they're happening. Like I bought the house. I did the podcast. I didn't even know that was a plan. Like people would say that to me. I'm writing the second book. The book's being republished. It's like, I have all these wonderful clients that are writing amazing books. You know, I can call myself a book coach to bestsellers, you know, never thought I could say that until I realized everybody's a bestseller. So like I can say that, but I know that for me looking at the next, like I know today that I have to think very seriously, not necessarily about how much can I get done today and how much can I get done tomorrow, but where do I want to be 10 years from now? And if I look at that, then I can get really excited and really curious on a day-to-day basis because there isn't the pressure of I have to be there by Monday. It's like, I, it would be nice if I was there by 60. That would be fabulous. And the thing that I want more than anything is to be a talk show host. And that is, I have realized that is not something that I've thought of just yesterday. I've wanted that since I was a little girl and I used to do talk things with my stuffed animals in the mirror. And I used to chart Casey Kasem and I was an anchor in Buffalo and they said I was great. And then I almost met Conan O'Brien and got on a show, but I dropped the ball. Like uh, this has been going and going and going and going and going. But the only thing that's held me back is all the things that I believe can't come true. Like you can't be a talk show host if you're 50 years old and you've never been on camera and you literally know no one. Why? Why not? If I keep doing the things I'm doing every day, showing up on your podcast, showing up on my podcast, doing interviews, what are the chances that someone might not see me or I might not create my own TV show? You know that you created your own pilot. You created your own podcast. Why not? Yes. Why not? Just put it out there and let go of the results and trust that it will manifest in some way, especially the way the world is changing. Whoever knew there were so many platforms? You have YouTube, you have Facebook, you have Zoom. You have so many ways of channels now than before when you just had television, right? Right. Before computers, then you had computers. And we got, our show is almost done. So I would like to ask you, if someone, maybe they wanna write a book, Or maybe they want their own little legacy that they want to write for themselves just for their own self-discovery. Or maybe they just feel a little nudge to do it. How would someone outline, you know, where would you say to start to write? Three ways. It's like, do you write a title? Do you just say, this is what I want to write about? Or do you need to have the end result of the book? What can you share with our audience? Even if it's just they're going to have the three pages written, or maybe they're going to do 20 pages or 100 pages. Is that too too much to ask? Absolutely not. It's funny that you mentioned that because next week I'll be putting out my last podcast for 2020, and it's called The Bigger Message in the Book. 
And it's an encapsulated 17 minutes of a 45 minute talk that I do for groups around the country that outlines literally what you're talking about. You are not even close to an outline yet. If you do not know the themes of your book, the inciting incident of your book, why you're writing the book, who you think is against you writing the book, and all the moments that you think should connect to those themes in the book. If you don't have that groundwork done, you can't go to an outline. It'll just be a mess. Oh, so I, so I set that up in this podcast. It's my gift to my viewers, my listeners next week. It's called the bigger message of the book. It's also on my YouTube channel in the full, uh, in a longer version on a Facebook page that I did it for a coach. And it's, it's, I've been told it's the densest, best, most powerful punch of knowing what to do first with the book that anyone's seen. So are you going to write a book about that? <laughs> At least a no, I say it too much all day long. I, I like I would love for you to do like a free little pamphlet so people can use it as an outline. I would it's love to see that. It's good as a podcast. It's really good. You have to listen to it next week. It's really good. It's okay. It's very, it's very interactive. Oh, great. Well, everyone, Kim will have will have a bunch of stuff in notes on our podcast on Apple and all the platforms. It how to reach her if you'd like to reach her if you're thinking about writing a book or just have a few comments her way buy my book buy her book it's not available right now you'd have to contact me directly because it's being republished okay so it's coming up and I know on Amazon they said if they may have pre-order or whatever so that could happen soon and what else could we say about you so we'll have all the ways you can connect with Kim and keep in touch so she can give you some updates and. It's just great. I thank you so much. I'm grateful for you being on the show, Kim. Thank you so, so much. And all the audience out there and our podcast listeners, thank you so, so much wherever you are in the world, the United States, Australia, Ireland, Switzerland. I've, I've looked and I've, we've been touched. We've touched so many different countries, which is so great. I never thought this would go worldwide and it has. And so I'm so happy. And even though we got stuck in this COVID and the pandemic, look what has emerged to help make our lives more expansive and touch more people worldwide. It has for me. I would like our audience and our listeners to think about what were some of the blessings going on in the pandemic today? While I know some of us may be going through a lot of grief and whoever's going through that right now, I'm talking to you personally. Take some of these happy chemicals, shake a hand with some, I know we can't shake hands anymore. I don't know why. I brought that up, but eat a little chocolate and have it meaningful. You could, and then also think of then things that you're grateful for. And also write about why are you grateful? Be in the appreciation and be what you appreciate appreciates. And if you are in extreme grief or whatever, it doesn't mean that you're letting that go and you're denying it because grief is not a brain problem. It's, it's a, heart experience that we all go through. So we can intellectualize grief. Okay, let's get down to our hearts and just be where we are. That's all I ask of you. Remember for now, I'll see you next time. And just know we are all on all the podcast platforms and looking forward to seeing you. We'd love for you to share, rate, and review. We want to get this message out in grief recovery. It is possible. Doesn't mean you forget about your past or your loved one or the trauma or the experience. You get like a psychic change, a different story, and 
make sure that anything that's incomplete gets complete. Anything that is unresolved gets resolved. There's ways of doing it. It's powerful and simple. It's just sometimes not easy. And we're here to help. You're not alone. Thank you so much again for listening. Thank you, Kim. See you next time. Peace and love. Thank you for joining our Grief Recovery Now journey. Like what you heard? It would be the biggest compliment to our mission if you would please subscribe, rate, and review Grief Recovery Now on Apple Podcasts. And we'll keep you posted on our next podcasts. If you don't have Apple, we are also on Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and other podcast platforms. Also, please join our private Facebook group, Grief Recovery Now. And if you are in need of any personal attention, please contact me with the link on this podcast page, which is griefrecoverymethod.com forward slash GRMS forward slash Charlene dash Gorzella. It would be an honor to hear from you.